Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, when harm is done, no love can be won. The gay times and play times like colors run together and fade, like raindrops falling on a broken rose, hiding in shadows where we don't belong, living in darkness to hide our wrong. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. All right. Well, good evening, everybody. This is this is Vinyl Tap. Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> we are uh, recording from uh, the Vinegar Rune Saloon. And uh, as you can tell, I am your host tonight, Tony Slagle, joined always by our other host, Doug Cooper. Hello, people. And our very humble producer, Jonathan Jamro. Hello, tapsters. Tonight, we are looking at an album that was released in 1974 by, uh, what's her, like, a nickname for her? Queen of rock and roll? Queen of country she rock? She rejected what's, that one. What do, what, do, what do we call her? I think she is the queen of the non-genre. Okay. Uh, Linda Ronstadt, her 1974 LP, Heart like a wheel classic album and this was not a douglas cooper pick this was a jonathan jam row pick and so i'm going to do what we always do and ask the picker jam why did you pick heart like a wheel for us to discuss tonight well um i'm going to suggest that this should be an album that is in everyone's collection because i think it is a fantastic album um First, personally, I'm going to give it. My, I'm going to get, go from this from a from a personal perspective. It has three of my favorite songs ever written. Um, I can't help it if I'm still in love with you. Is perhaps the greatest uh, love song or breakup song or watching your girlfriend be happy while with some you, other jerk that needs with some to jerk. Die. Yeah, that is yeah. Uh, a, a fantastic, just a, a great song. It's one of my favorite songs ever written. Another one is Willin. Who wrote that one? Hank Williams. Oh, okay. And then we got Willin, another one of my favorite songs ever written by the great Lil' George. Uh, her interpretation of that on this album might be a little bit circumspect, but we can, we can get to that when we're, we're talking it's about it. Beautiful and incoherent. Yes. <laughs> And then you've got just one, I think, one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Um, you Can Close Your Eyes. Oh, it's God. it's a uh, song originally written by 
James Taylor, and he has kind of rediscovered it recently, but it is a fantastic song. And I think he actually wrote that for his sister. Yeah, I think she did think the he first did. recording of it. Yeah. We'll get to that later. But it is, it is a, a these, those three songs are just worth the price. Again, I say this a lot worth the price of admission. She, she does some good songs. She does some good interpretations of those songs. Second, kind of piggybacking off that, there really is not a bad song selection on this. She, even though you, you could kind of say that maybe she shouldn't have interpreted the songs the way that she did, but the, that, but the way they're performed are fantastic. And that brings me to the, the, the third reason why I picked this, the musicianship on this is fantastic. I, I love the way it's produced. I love the way that the songs, even though they're so desperate, I really do think it's a very cohesive album. Um, and you talk about songs or albums from the seventies. I really think this is a standout album from that California sound from the seventies. It was, it's, it's at the end of it before stuff just started getting really cheesy and schmaltzy again. Um, you know, where the Eagles started taking over the airwaves and close, silly harmonies started to be kind of taking over the airwaves. And I, 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 it's, it, I can't, Peter Asher cannot, it cannot be credited enough for what he did on this album. We'll get to that when we talk later. But the, the, the fourth thing I want to say is this comes into the seminal area, sentimental area. Um, this is an album that was frequently played, at my house when I was growing up and a lot of the songs that are played off of this album were songs that I would watch my dad play when he would have his friends over and they would just all sort of sit around and start playing songs. And a lot of these songs I just kind of grew up with. So I just kind of know a lot of these songs and um, I'd be a little bit remiss to say that we don't, you know, we don't really get too personal on these podcasts, but one of the guys that, was kind of in that group that would kind of be the ringleader of these songs and kind of introduced us all to Linda Ronstadt passed away recently. And, uh, I really think that was on my, on my mind. Um, when I selected this album. So that, that's, that's pretty much why I did it. But it's a fantastic album. Thanks, Jam. I appreciate that. That uh, sounds like lots going on there for your pick. Uh, I have a question for both of you guys. You've mentioned this either on air or off air to me several times when Linda Ronstadt's come up. And she's come up before, I think, tw at least twice on two other podcasts. And you've mentioned her ability to interpret songs. And I'm just going to say ability without throwing any judgment one way or another. But I would like the two of you to talk about that a little bit before we get into her history or the album, just because I think it's going to, well, I think it's important for the discussion, as JM mentioned already on one song, but just so that people listening can get an idea of where the two of you kind of fit with Linda Ronstadt. Because I know you both love her, but there's also this kind of edge to the love, If I guess, if that's a correct thing to say. <laughs> well... I can go first because uh, 
I no longer occupy the territory. I, I don't defend the ground I once defended because I just read her biography. And, uh, honey, are you listening? I was wrong. <laughs> uh, some of the songs don't match perfectly, but she knew what she was doing why she was doing it. And she is so conscious about interpretation. I had no idea. She is, I'll, I'll, I'll cut this start. Um, I think that I thought she was probably someone who was handled by managers who said, look, this is a nice song. It's a very, I was so completely wrong yeah. about her. She is headstrong. She's highly intelligent, highly independent. Uh, she's a, a prodigious reader, and nobody was telling her what she was doing. And, uh, you know, the, the song that sticks out in my mind is Willin', which sounds so wrong when a woman's singing it. Because it's not, yeah, it cannot it's about be a, for a woman's When you see a kind of chubby Lil George singing it, it makes perfect sense. You can see him mounting up behind a rig, and, or uh, in yeah. front of a rig. And, pull. and I've been from Tucson to Tucum Carey. So I wouldn't get way And if you give me Weed White sand Wine And you show me a sign But uh, from a woman's perspective it, it doesn't But she just knew it was a great song And she couldn't resist And Lowell played it for her And, and she said I love that song I gotta record it And uh, he actually gave her his guitar so she wouldn't have to keep retuning it to mm. play that song. Yeah. So all I'm going to say is I said a lot about that, and I'm, I'm going to say I'm wrong now, and I hope my wife's listening to this so <laughs> that it counts as a time that I admitted I was wrong. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback off that a little bit. Um, I think there was, at this time, a big push for people that could really sing to just sing good songs. And there were very few people that could, they, they had their voice, but they could not really interpret the songs. Right. I'm going to say on this album that there, she rarely misses. I think there's a, couple of tunes willin may be one of them where i just can't picture a woman singing them but that's only because i can't picture a woman singing them she has such a, a an um, amazing voice that can do so many different things and she has used it probably better than anybody in pop music i mean she when she and what what Doug's saying, and, and she gets into the where the songs comes from, where she's concerned about the arrangement. She, you know, like the 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 album we're going to be talking about today. Peter Asher is the producer. Peter Asher said, 
I really didn't have that much to do with it. I just brought in the guys. And the rest of it was up to was up to her how she she did it. And um, I've gained such a, an appreciation for her um, over the years. We're, we're talking about a fearless woman. Yeah, who, she is fearless. Uh, yeah. Told the record company over and over again that I'm going to do the American Songbook. Oh, don't say, no, that's not your style. We, we got this yeah. wrong. I'm going to do Pirates of the Penzance. And they said, no, oh, no, no, you're going to take yeah. the momentum away from what we're doing. I'm going to do mariachi. And she just said, I'm going to jump genres, and I've made enough money for this company that you ought to let me. <laughs> and then every time she did it, she knocked it out of the yeah. park, except yeah. once when she did La Bohème. And uh, she... What she really, yeah, that's a she, she will admit that she didn't pull that off, but who could? I mean, give me a break. But she's got one of those... You know, one of the songs she does on this album is by the McGargle Sisters, which is a beautiful, mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful song. But they've got those pure, beautiful harmonies. And there's something about Linda Ronstadt's voice that doesn't have that pureness to it that I absolutely love. That it's it's well, it's got so much distinction her to her. That's yeah. how she started out. I know, but she's got such a distinctive voice. Well, she so, doesn't have... Uh, the probably the easiest way to say this is just c- compare her with her, the obvious comparison, which is Emmylou Harris. Weren't your mama's only boy, but her favorite one, it seemed. She began to cry when you said and sank into your dreams. Yeah. Emmylou Harris has the best backing vocals of almost anybody in the world. Yeah. Linda has a couple of too many pipes yeah. to be in the background, even yeah. though she yeah. did. I mean, she sang background on hard, heart of uh, gold and a bunch of other things, yeah. but she's, that's not her calling. She's, uh, yeah, she's you know, a pipe organ well, versus a, uh, <laughs> the, the thing that her uh, autobiography made me realize is, Linda Ronstadt is an English-speaking mariachi singer, <laughs> and they belted out. Yeah, and her her greatest uh, influence was Lola Beatriz. Gigantic yeah. monster of Mexico uh, mariachi and uh, ranchera music, and that was her first and greatest influence. And once I heard that she said that, I went, oh, "That makes perfect sense." She sounds like a mariachi singer yeah, with she the really does. voice out front. That's why she fit in a Casiones de Mi Padre. Even when so she is, easy for I know, her. even when she is singing low, which I mean, she could sing soft, which she. She's a master. She's a master. We're going to hear that. over and over tonight how she starts way down, so yeah. she has plenty of room to yeah. to grow to get up. And every song she does that, and yeah, uh, and there's anyway. there's very few singers again. Like David Bowie is one of those guys that could I mean, he can do that. Yeah, he can start off really low and just go into something 
But if it's it's just like people that type in all caps. You can't once yeah. you start all caps, you don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. But she yeah. starts with little tiny uh four point font. Yeah. Yeah. So I anyway, have, Tony, you asked a question, and we're so far away. No, from no, no. I just had a, I had a couple of a couple of points I wanted to make to to what you said. One is uh, I don't disagree with you that she's fearless. However, I do think it's interesting that the title track on this album was one that she's wanted to record forever and was pushed like told not to do it over and over again until Peter Asher is like, sure, yeah, let's do it. So yeah. uh, it's interesting that for whatever reason, the song that really touched her in a way she was never able to push through on other, other albums to get through. That's the one thing. The other thing is I, I, I never really had, that's why I wanted you guys to talk about the interpretation thing. Cause I never quite understood what you're talking about with one exception and that's sail away. I think I think that's one song where she just kind of misses the point of what Randy Newman did when he wrote that. It's, oh, if she misses the point on a I, lot. I, of I'm, I'm going to say she doesn't miss the point. I'm going to say she purposely sidesteps the point for well, because she's too damn smart and she's too damn plugged in. And that that's a political. Okay, that's a very political well, thing, and she's all over that kind of politics. It it seems to me though, listening to that song, and I don't want to go too, down too far a rabbit hole in this, but it seems to me listening to that song, you know, when Randy Newman sings it, it's dripping with this sarcasm. When she, she sings doesn't it, do sarcasm. That's not. It's not there. It almost seems a celebration no, she's of. Got, she's too of what earnest she's a singer. About. Yeah, yeah. 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 But anyway. if 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 you were to tell me that. She didn't know what that song was about. Well, I would I, be shocked. Yeah, I, I get that. Of, of what? Well, Emily Harris even said in that the would documentary be, that she's one of the smartest women yeah. she's ever. That would be encountered. like me say that. That's like, like people accusing me of uh, not understanding the harm of high capital gains taxes. But caused. this might be a good time to just talk about her background because she did not come from idiots. No. <laughs> she, All right. She's. Her her family is one of the most wonderful things yeah, no. I've ever heard. Now, reading her autobiography, I wanted to go to Tucson, find <laughs> yeah. this ranch, and join that family I immediately. Know. And they just seem like the decentest, like the not good, good people. Good people. Um, her what is her mom's uh, father was a crazy successful inventor. Yeah, he invented had, uh, a toaster. Um, the he, rubber ice tray. The ru- yeah, that, that's he what made their millions on the rubber ice tray. <laughs> he invented a microwave, the microwave oven, oven. <laughs> but he thought, no, nah, you could never make it uh, yeah. affordable. So he didn't even patent that. I mean, the, the guy was uh, just behind Edison in his time. Yeah, he was for the second. L- he was second behind Edison, or maybe third. But yeah, like uh, there's something remarkably, and and that's his mother's side. Yeah, and the, the dad's the, side. The dad's side. They basically. Owned the Gadsden, the place that was became the Gadsden, Gadsden Purchase, purchase. Um, and 
they <laughs> was they were they started off as buggy makers and wagon makers. Yeah, right. that's what her uh, grandfather would. Yeah, and he was which he makes came over like a wheel. Very interesting. So the so the Ronstadt he came over from Germany. Germany. Married a Hispanic, Hispanic woman, woman in, and uh, changed Mexico. his name to Gustav. He went. He was Gustav, and he changed his name to Gustavo something to sound more. Uh, so Ronstadt's a German name. I've I've never heard of anyone else named Ronstadt. Ronstadt, Ronstadt anywhere yeah. in the world. But I mean, her family was just remarkable. Everybody in her family was a musician. Yeah, uh, her grandparents loved music and every i guess it was every saturday she would go to her grandparents house and they would listen to the met on the radio yeah the opera yeah and uh like i used to when i was delivering uh drugs for Cherrytown pharmacy <laughs> and um <laughs> but if a big occasion occurred the whole family would get together and guitars would be all over the place and uh they were known as the her her dad was her dad was a remarkable singer his he was um the, he was the same band that wanted that that uh, uh Bing Crosby and uh, I guess it's Rosemary, Rosemary Clooney I can't remember yeah. the other people but yeah. they tried to get her father to be the singer for the band huh. but it was during the depression and he felt obliged to help his father with the farm, and they had a hardware business also, and he decided to stay. But by all accounts, he was a remarkable singer, sang with uh, large bands all the time. In fact, he used to uh, serenade Linda's mother, and uh, yeah. that. But and he, was, he didn't have to. But he would bring. He was. They were so popular. They, they were the ones that sang at funerals or yeah. or at and and at. Any sort of party that you wanted to have, they were like the band that you would get. And so he was trying to serenade. He, he had a crush on uh, Lena Ronstadt's soon-to-be mother. And he just would bring members of the band out, and he would sing to her on the... And she would come out on her nice little, you know, cadenza and everything, and he would he would serenade her. And it... It obviously worked. Uh, it was. It was. Uh, her brother was in boys' choir. Yeah. And uh, the Tucson apparently Tucson has this remarkable boys' choir that yeah traveled the whole country, and he was the soloist, sang Ave Maria and all of those songs that prepubescent boys can sing when they have mm-hmm. that that voice that they'll never have. Yeah. Were you really? <laughs> I was in a youth choir. Yeah. yeah. Really? Not an all boys' choir, but a youth I, 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 I was think in a youth you choir, went through puberty. A, you don't yeah. sound that way anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but her family would have gigantic parties and they would all sing. But it was it was it just sounded a, a like anybody I've nicest, ever heard of. funnest it wonderful life you could possibly have. And she had a little pony she would ride around on yeah. and was it a stone pony? No, yeah. it wasn't. This was the non stone pony. But And uh, then her sister was huge into music. Her brother was huge, obviously a, a, a singer and her brother, brother went on to become the police chief, chief or chief of police for, <laughs> but they had so she and her brother and her sister the three just started that. yeah started singing yep and they uh, got a little Peter Paul and Mary combo except yeah. they had uh, two Marys yeah <laughs> but they they uh, um, I think she was like six years old someone said oh you're a soprano yeah and she goes. Well, that's what I am. 
And that's when she decided that she was a singer because someone told her she was a soprano. And that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. And, uh, of course, uh, she would eventually sign up to go to college at the University of Arizona in Tucson and do one semester there. And then her uh, friends uh, (laughs) convinced her. It's a Kenny Edwards, Bobby, Bobby Kimmel, Bobby Kimmel, Kimmel. Ken, yeah. Kenny Edwards is the other. Yeah, they were. They started so Bobby Kimmel. They were singing the, the Kenny Edwards for singing all, the clubs in uh, L.A. Yeah, yeah well, they Tucson well they first. St- they started in Tucson, and right. then those guys went to L.A. and uh, he was, she was sixteen the first time he met her, and he was blown away by how good voice. she was. Yeah, and tried to talk her going to come out there lots of times, but That's she was one of the still in I, high school. <laughs> the well, one then, of the things was, I like about her so much is how she's the last one to figure out she's a remarkable singer. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she, her. So she was still hanging out with her. Her brother decided that he was going to go into the police force. And her sister decided, you know, she had like three kids. She's like, I got plenty of money. What am I worried about? Yeah. And then, you know, Bobby Kimmel went out to L.A. And he was just kind of going, looking at all these great singers and going, I'm pretty sure Linda could probably fit the bill on all that. Mm-hmm. And then she, he brought her out there and they like almost immediately just started getting gigs at the well, door. She, um, she had to tell her parents that, that she wasn't going oh, to yeah. return to college and she's going to LA as an 18 year old. And they were heartbroken and worried. Oh, her brother was like, you're going to be, Broke. You're going to be totally broke. Yep. Like, and she's gonna be she broke. was. But it, when you're that young, it doesn't matter. But the most wonderful part is her father says, he, he goes and he gets his guitar, an, an 1898 Martin. Damn. <laughs> and he walks up and hands it to her. Says, good luck. And he says, you'll never be broke if you have a guitar. <laughs> I mean, her, her. I would love, of all the people... I would love to have met this man. He was yeah. just remarkable. Very, he didn't speak very often, but whenever he said something, everybody listened. And so she goes off to uh, L.A. with this guitar and these two other guys, and they they rent a house and they start playing these clubs. Oh, we gave her thirty bucks too, and she yeah. said she made it last two months. And they started playing. Uh, Playing these she, clubs, I, I read someplace where she said they thought they had something unique going on with this uh, female lead singer, and they realized that <laughs> Jefferson Airplane was out, you know, out yeah. on the West Coast and all this other stuff, and it wasn't as as special as she thought it was. But yeah, well, if you hear those Stone Pony, you can tell her voice is good, but she really doesn't know what it's for yet, right? And she's still trying to sound like folk singers who don't have the pipes she Well, that's has. what they were, right? It was a folk band. Well, they band. were a folk band. We've yeah. been too many places, we've seen too much, touched too many faces to think that there's just one way to love, or that there's just a day to love. Somewhere, some special moment in time and space we will belong face to face. But our lives are borrowed, we love today and die tomorrow like we you guys know what their first single was, right? Their first hit single? A different drum? Yeah, you know who wrote it? Mike I Nesbitt. do. 
That's, that's, that's our my, Texas. That's what makes us so. Up. That's one of my favorite things to learn. Yeah, how funny is it that their first hit single was by a guy who was in a band that the 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 people who formed wouldn't let them perform their own songs, and in fact, he brought that to the Monkees and and wanted him to play it. Mickey Dolan said the producer said no, it doesn't sound like the Monkees. And well, so it he, doesn't. And so she, he gave it to her. He knew her for playing around and said she might like it. And sure enough, they got a number. Well, and then, off well, I mean, but everybody, wasn't. everybody didn't get their way with this. I mean, yeah. he didn't get to do it with the monkeys, and she didn't get to do it the way she, she wanted, wanted to. They and brought all they these. Basically, had to. It was the dividing line between the Stone Ponies and she. Yeah, well, it helped. In. It helped split the band up. But yeah. they brought all these musicians in and did that arrangement, which. um I think's fantastic. I do too. And she does now, but at the time she thought it was a turd. <laughs> and she thought, she's the, in the movie, the, the, the documentary that, that came out recently. She said that her brother was was driving down. He, he by that time he was the a police officer out in Tucson. You're driving all over the place, and so he was listening to the radio. He goes all of a sudden he hears, yeah, different drum. And it's his sister singing it. And he's just like, I guess she made it. I guess she did it all it number, right. It was a number 13 hit. Uh, do you, do you, did y'all hear how they first heard it? They were doing a gig outside of town, and their car broke down. And it's it sounds like it threw a rod or something, yeah. but it was a, it was a goner. They took it to a garage, and the, the mechanic's explaining to them that their car is dead and will never go again. And they're thinking how hopeless everything is. And while he's talking to them, they can hear their song come on, <laughs> hear a different drum. <laughs> That's the first time they ever heard it. That reminds me of uh, the Sabbath up when uh, they're, they're coming back from playing over in Germany and the DJ's talking about this hit song by Black Sabbath. And they're thinking, there's got to be another Black Sabbath. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. I remember that. Um, yeah. Okay, so they the Stone Ponies put out three albums on Columbia, right? They're signed to or not Columbia? I'm sorry, uh, Capital. Capital. They're, they're signed to Capital. They put out three albums when uh, when they they had a brief hiatus where they break up, and their manager at the time was this guy named Herb Cohen, who was also Frank Zappa's manager. Yeah, he's probably done more for he's behind the scenes guy that's yeah. ever. <laughs> and he tried to get the two of them together. He yeah. was. Tim Buckley's manager. Oh. Yeah. And he, George Duke. Yeah. But he tried George to get George Duke is who actually, yeah, played with Zappa for a long time. Well, he tried to get Zappa and Linda Ronstadt together, and they actually did record a Remington Razor commercial, which I'll put on the website. It's pretty funny to listen to. It doesn't sound like her. But um the other person she tried to hook him up with was Jack Nietzsche. <laughs> this sounds like a good place for us to talk about connections. So I'll, I guess I'll start since I mentioned Jack Nietzsche and the connections with 
three of our podcasts we've done <laughs> southern accents um the graham parker one and the neil young one yeah, so he's done the string arrangements yes so i think we'll do a little round robin here doug do you have any connections with Leonard? I, this may be the most connected artist we've talked about if it's not then i don't know who is what about Jerry Jeff Walker? <laughs> What's the connection there, Doug? Well, on a ride to the airport from the village in New York, Jerry Jeff Walker sang a song to her called Heart Like a Will. And it hit her like a ton of bricks. Yep. So uh, that's a pretty good one. That's a great one. I would say that's the greatest one we've come up with. So we've got Kenny Edwards. Uh-huh. Kenny Edwards was uh, originally her guitar player. And mandolin player, but he also played with Neil Young. Mm-hmm. But he is all over this album as the bass player and a couple of other instruments. I'd like to blow your mind with one. All right. Dave Mason. I don't have this one. That's uh, going to blow me away. Yeah. Chris Etheridge plays bass on Alone Together. And he plays bass on this album. Chris Etheridge was the right. bassist yeah, for the International right. Submarine Band and yep. for the Flying Burrito Brothers. And he plays that. bass maybe on just one song, but he does play yeah, bass he on does. the song. Yeah, you're right. How about Johnny Cash? Okay, lay it on us. TV appearance at Johnny Cash Show. Oh, all right. Where uh, the producer of that program walked in her hotel room to discuss the, uh, allegedly to discuss the program. Walks in, takes all his clothes off, and is shocked to find out that hippie chicks don't like naked old men. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaky Pete Cleal. Yes. Played with uh, yep. Everyone. a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about uh, Neil Young in particular. but I would like to say that we are purposely avoiding the most obvious ones, like Jackson Brown, Neil Young, people she uh, lived near and toured with. Um, what about Paul Simon? Well, um, there's a South Africa connection. Yep. They yeah. both are bad people in South well, Africa. Well, no, she's saying on, on she's saying on. Oh, I forgot that too. Yeah. 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 Give her the wings to fly So that yeah. was an out that was one we did. Um, there's a sort of a cursory connection to Tom Waits. With oh, Troubadour yeah, Troubadour. and the uh, Not, Asylum. I was mainly speaking of Asylum, asylum because De- David they, Geffen they had went the same after manager. They, they went after she David Geffen went after both of them pretty hard. Yeah. Um yeah. so I mean, she was already signed when David Geffen after went after her, but I, I would like to very briefly talk about the Eagles and the connection here. I, I think it's it, important. It's, I don't think it we is can, important. I don't it's think it. we can talk about Linda Ronstadt and not talk about well, the Eagles. Well, because so. Don Henley kind of had something to do with how good her band was that got her on the map. What she was, what she's walking through, uh, she's walking through the Troubadour on her way to the bathroom, and she hears. Her version of Silver Threads and Golden Needles being played really well by this other band, and it's a band called Shiloh. And uh, 
Fantastic. She, she really thinks the drummer's something else. So, which well, I will never understand. And that's the and that band was brought to L.A. by Kenny Rogers, right? I, believe, <laughs> I don't know. I that believe part. so. I think he. I think Kenny Rogers brought uh, Shiloh to um, to L.A. to work on an album. J.D. Souther, she met another guy in the Eagles through him. They were in a they were in a band together. That's Lynn Fry, right? A and band called Penny Whistle. They Long Branch Penny Whistle. Glenn Fry and J.D. Souther sound a lot alike. They do. They do. They do. I think they could have switched either one of them out. And then, uh, and then she met Bernie Leadon because he was a flying burrito brother at the time. I think they might have even played played together at one point. Um, and then, uh, and then Randy Meisner was in Rick at the time. Rick Nelson. His yeah, when I Rick hear Rick Nelson. Nelson, I don't know who is Rick Nelson, and then you say Ricky Nelson, I go, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, Ricky Nelson, in my opinion, was one of the greatest singers of he really that was. generation. He had a perfect voice for that. Not genre. only that, but he had to he had the expert idea of what a song needed to sound like, and he got a great band behind him. Well, what happened was Elvis went to Germany, and then they the the powers that be coalesced yeah. everyone around Ricky Nelson, and I. I, I, well, I know uh, this. Linda said you built a great band for Ricky Nelson. Will you build one for yeah, me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that uh, they ended up playing. They didn't play for her uh, as her backing band very long. I think their first gig was at Disneyland in <laughs> July of nineteen. That was their last gig. Was that their? That's last That's when gig? they they finally. But what happened was, uh, since they weren't a big concern, um, Don Henley and Glenn Fry had to share rooms. And they found out they... Had, and they both found out they were songwriters. Yeah, and yep. then uh, Glenn Fry found out that Don Henley could really sing. Yeah. And there's no greater uh, advocate for Don Henley's voice than uh, Glenn Fry. He's, I've, I've seen him talk about that over and over again. Anyway, they decide that they have some chemistry, those four guys, and they're going to go off and... They they tell her they're going to go off and start their own band. Well, she heard them. He she heard them sing "Witchy Women" with that uh, <sighs> harmony. It's a horrible song. Horrible, but uh, horrible song. It's it's such a horrible song. We could do a whole show on how bad that song is. But their their harmony strikes her right away. So uh, the Stone Ponies end up. They're no longer going concern, and Capital does the smart thing and moves their contract. To Linda Ronstadt, so she's with Capital, and she puts out her first solo album. Was it sixty nine? Yeah, sixty nine. Sixty nine. Called hand sewn and hand um, homegrown. That that breakup Friends. means that the stone, the other Stone Ponies, don't have any contractual obligation to pay off the recording debts. Ah, and Linda has all of it. Ah, and it takes her eight years before she ever ah, starts making money horrible. from records. Is that's that right? Horrible. Yeah. Damn. Wow, because this album came out in seventy four, so that's she wasn't I mean, even post this album, which was well, a monster. I mean, I hit. guess so if, that's why she lived on the road for all those wow. years. Wow, yeah, and and there are and, and there are some uh, crossovers with at least one of the guys in the Stone Ponies on most yeah, of the Kenny stuff Edwards is yeah, he came back. So her her debut comes out in March of sixty nine. It's on Capitol. It's produced by Chip Douglas, who was in of the Turtles. And it's a a bit of a of a move away from what the Stone Ponies were doing, which was folk music, to a much more sort of country 
maybe leaning towards a yeah, rocky con- sort of country politan yeah. a little bit it's got songs by a bunch of people but you know i think it's kind of three of the ones that are worth mentioning Ten. dylan Randy Newman, and then here's another connection. She does a song by Fred Neal on this album. You guys remember who Fred Neal is? He wrote Everybody's Talking. Oh, oh wow. I didn't really? know that. Didn't That's know great. That. Yeah. Which That's is a great a, connection. Uh, yeah, which is a Harry Nielsen on Harry Nielsen's album that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so then she, uh, and that album is a dud. Well, this, um, but this is sort of the beginning of, of not really uh, of a record company, not really knowing what to do with their producers, not really knowing what to do with her. The album doesn't chart. It only sold 10,000 copies before she even started working on her next album. So that's not the best. Yeah. Second album, Silk Purse. And this one leans even more into that country sound. It's got songs by Mel Tillis on it. It's got songs by Hank Williams. It's got a Mickey Newberry song. I was trying to remember the connection to Mickey Newberry. I know we talked about him, but I can't remember. Wasn't it Jerry Jeff Walker? What was it? Oh, yeah. It was Jerry Jeff Walker. Yeah. She she talks a lot about him being... uh, In in that book, she talks a lot about Mickey Newberry and Chris Christopherson, how they were undiscovered, and they had... Binders and binders of songs, songs. <laughs> and uh, and this album actually charts. It hits one hundred three on the Billboard Top two hundred. So the third album is a self titled album. Linda Ronstadt is released in seventy two on Capitol. It is kind of goes backwards. So the last album hit one hundred three. This one charts at one sixty three. Um, it does hit number thirty five on the country album chart, but in terms of the Billboard pop chart, it hits one sixty three. Yeah, her issue with the unwillingness of producers to do what she wants to do and and just not being happy with what's going on she is looking for a way out of capital at this point yeah she already signed with asylum but she had one last album to do for columbia and she said for capital yeah i said columbia too so it's all right I know, so. So, one yeah, last but it al- worked out great for her because <laughs> she had two record companies Mm-hmm. pushing this album yeah right so uh, what jam's talking about is after the uh after the linda ronstadt album that's when david geffen woos her away from capital and she signs to asylum um we talked about asylum before that's where I mean, everybody, everybody everybody was signing and the yeah and yeah. and it seemed like one of those labels where david geffen was willing to give people a chance so her fourth album which is the first one on asylum is called don't cry now and that's released in 73 the odd thing about that album it's got at least three if not more than that producers um including jd souther i believe yeah. is, produces on that this this her album boyfriend man. yeah they were boyfriend they were, at, they were boyfriend and girlfriend tree. at the time yeah. um but this album actually charts and it's uh it's notable for a couple of reasons one is it charts it hits number 51 on the Billboard 100, it hits the top 10 easy listening chart in Canada, and it's the first album that Peter Asher has anything to do on. He he ends up um, producing two songs, I think, right? He, yeah, uh, and he Sail was, Away, and I forget what the other he one He was is. about to kind of take over her career because the other guy 
decided he wanted to do something more. Well, the funny thing about that popular. was he was he was managing Kate Taylor, James Taylor's sis, sister yeah. at the time, yeah. and he and he did not think it was wise to have two female artists. He wanted right. to focus on the one. Cons- it was a conflict of interest, right? And yeah. when when Kate Taylor decided she didn't want to be in the music industry anymore, she told Linda Ronstadt to go hook back up with him and see if he was interested, and he certainly was. Um, uh, just a brief thing. Most of the people who listen to us are old enough to know who Peter Asher is, but he was, he was part of the Peter and Gordon duo. He was the brother of, uh, he was the brother of Jane Asher who dated Paul McCartney for a while. He was involved and in, he was sitting around when all those Beatles songs were being written. He's got a show. I think, well, he, I'm, he was, uh, oh, he's got part of Apple show. records for the, I think he signed, uh, yeah, he was, signed, did he, Apple did he sign James Taylor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was running Apple Records for a while, and he's got and a she, great. She show. got south with her previous uh, manager, manager yeah. because he, well, he was trying to save money on tickets for a show in Hawaii. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he ended up buying from a discount dealer. Yeah, and they went. They got busted. They got busted and went to jail because those are stolen tickets, oh, and um, they <laughs> she ended up. In Spinner. Hawaii, yeah. talking with uh, the Adderley brothers, Nate and uh, Cannonball, yeah. and <laughs> they were giving her advice about, you know, that's that's not how it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. One of the things Peter Asher does right off the bat is he realizes he wants to give her a bigger audience, so he gets her booked on a tour with Neil Young. And uh, on that tour, they're in Texas, backstage in Texas, and uh, she's hanging out with Chris Hillman, who decides that she needs to meet somebody by the name of Emmylou Harris, and he introduces the two of them, and it's sort of history is made at that at that point. Emily, Emmylou had been in better spirits because... This is right after uh, Graham Park Parsons. Died. Graham Parsons. Had, What's interesting about this is that Chris Hillman is the one who introduced her to Graham Parsons as well. So he's instrumental in getting her hooked up with people who... Emmy Lou we're talking about. So it's kind of a funny. And you know what? Uh, when Linda Ronstadt saw Emmy Lou Harris, she goes, There's a beautiful brunette singing so beautiful. music. So and I could be jealous she, or, yeah. <laughs> or co op. She's doing what I want to do, except she's doing it better than I do. Yeah. And she goes, Am I going to be jealous or am I just going to be a fan? And she decided to be a fan. Yep, and of and course, those two um, yeah, that teamed did. up. A lot, including on this album. And when they sing together, it's it is magical. Ma- it is, it magnificent. Is. It's magical. Um, but the, 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 when they do. When when Linda Ronstadt talks about this change, so she goes from playing clubs to touring with Neil Young, playing in front of Madison Square, a crowd in Madison Square Garden. So it's, I mean, Peter Asher's really, I think, doing things the right way. That brings us up to the album we're going to talk about tonight, which is her fifth album. And it's what we talked, what we said earlier. It's heart like a wheel. All right. Well, then why don't we get to it? We're going to talk about song one, side one. You're no good. Well, I broke 
Well, this is my least favorite song on the album. It is also Linda Ronstadt's only number one hit and uh, a great vehicle for her to show off her voice. I love this song. I love the way she does it. Um, this is a song that was originally done by... Dee Warwick. Dee yeah. Which is uh, the sister of, of Dionne Warwick, who originally did that. And uh, some other folks did that one, too. Van Halen did a version of it. Did they really? Yeah. I'm glad I missed that. <laughs> and the, I, I think this is a lot of people malign this out this song on this album, but I think it's I really do think it's very good. I like the guitar solo on it, and I think that the instrumentation on it, I think the musicianship on it is I, very good. This uh, is I'm with Doug. This isn't necessarily my cup of tea, but it's very hard to hear this song and not be blown away by her vocals on it. It is yeah. a wonderful uh presentation of what she can do um it, and i you know one of the things that came across in my reading that i found so entertaining was that they worked hard and hard on the vocals and uh they erased them <laughs> yeah and then peter asher went through a lot of trouble to and then uh <laughs> They they finally reconstructed him, and she came back with her boyfriend at the time, who was uh, Albert Brooks. Brooks, yeah, Albert. Brooks. So she comes back to the studio with Albert Brooks, and he listens to the solo, and he goes, "Why did it start sounding like the Beatles all of a sudden?" It, it does. The solo sounds like Harrison's playing guitar on it. It's it sounds so Abbey Road. It's so bizarre how much it sounds like that. <laughs> I, I I feel so I, stupid that I've listened to this record for so long, and that's the first time I noticed. So, yeah. I here's what's interesting about what you just said. I thought that, and then I read that later, and I was like, oh, well, I'm not quite the idiot, because, like, God, that sounds very Harrison-y, but I had to listen to uh, This song, when I was a kid, this song was ubiquitous. Yeah. This song was everywhere, and the nice thing about listening to it for this podcast was whenever I would hear it pro prior to sort of being, and I'm just, I don't mean this in a bad way, being, but being forced to listen to it over and over again is it, it, I didn't, I didn't like it just because it reminded me of 1974 or 75 when I was a kid, not the greatest time of my life, not to get too boohoo about it, but that's what the song reminded me of. I liked the song a lot more having been forced to listen to it and it, and it took that edge off. I'm going to say what it reminds me of, and it's, I can't shake this because it does. It, it, it feels to me like, um, just dropped in by the first edition. Really? Yeah. It's got that same kind yeah, of feel okay, to it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I got you. I got you. Well, they've been playing this live for a for while. A long time. Yeah. And, there was their closing and song. The, it was, yeah. and, and which makes sense. And then the first time they recorded it, I think was this kind of R and B version, similar to what they played live. And she couldn't sing it. She said, I just couldn't get the phrasing right around yeah, about what yeah. the musicians Peter, were doing. Peter so, Asher was the one who kind of put, pulled it from the ashes. You know? Well, it doesn't fit on this album at all. I'm not going to, I'm going to disagree with you. I think it's a, I think it works. I, I don't think it matches any other song on this album. Having said that, though, it is a, a great uh, opener, a great display of her abilities. And it's a it's a great production. It's just uh, not. I think probably my biggest problem with it is it's just 
not something I'm interested you, in. The thing I do like about it is the second verse where the person complaining about the guy being no good admits yeah, that yeah. she had done the same thing, which redeems the song a lot for me. A, a couple of things. You know she's publicly said she didn't like her vocal performance on the song? Almost every song she said Which that. is remarkable that she would say that. Um, but Yeah, she so nailed it. This, oh yeah, she absolutely nailed it. I mean, if there's, again, not a song I particularly would call my in my wheelhouse, but it's hard not to listen to it, just not be blown away by her vocal performance on it. It uh, it was a monster hit. As Doug said, it was her first and only, only number one. Uh, it was also an international hit. It charted in Australia. It charted yeah. in the Netherlands. It charted in New Zealand. Uh, it, it, you know, Capital, when they were thinking about putting this out as the, as the um, first single, they were trying to choose between that and When Will I Be Loved. They weren't sure which of those two they wanted to have the single, and they ended up going with this one after the album was already released, which is an unusual thing as well. But this... Uh, I, I agree with J, uh, JM. I think this is a, a good way to start this album, but I also agree with you, Doug. It's not like anything else on this album. Al- this album is full of country standards, even the songs that you don't normally associate with country they, standards, they like got, the Buddy Holly song or the Brothers song. They got pulled over a little towards the countryside yeah so anyway it's um she does a great job with it and yeah, she knocks it yeah the, one of the most important things we're going to learn about this woman is that she does not respect the boundaries that uh genre uh produce and this this is a lot like what um we talked about with the um flying burrito brothers and uh graham is that he's taking these uh R&B and pulling them into country and yeah. she, and she's doing that. I don't know if she's doing it on purpose, but it's uh it's it's the same thing. We're talking about one of the top 5 Southern California country rock albums of all time. Yeah, I and it may not it may be the top one. I don't know. I I I think one of the things that it's impossible to measure you say this all the time, Doug. We're we're in we're in this place where we don't we're we're in an age where yeah. this album has been a part of our lives, but we're not, we weren't of an age where we were able to see what came after it. This album mm-hmm. influenced. We couldn't see what came before it. Or, or before, but this yeah. album changed the way country music sounded and in particular the way female country artists right. performed. Absolutely. Right. She fundamentally was changed one of the them. first people that just said, I'm in conflict. Wanda Jackson, maybe. There, there, there's <laughs> other people that you could say that are Tammy Wynette. There, there are people that could do it, but she really was. Somebody that just, if you watch that documentary on her, uh, The Sound of My Voice, great documentary. It's, it's so funny that, that she's so sweet and, and yeah. retiring, she, and you think, oh, yeah, but, I'll take well, care of you. And then she's liable to put you in your stable and lock you up for that. Yeah. I think this song in particular played on that image of her being the barefoot girl on stage right. or on the albums. And then this song comes out and kind of blows the lid off of that. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. There's this guy, Andrew Gold. Yeah, who is he? He is comes from a long line of musical royal royalty. He actually had a hit nineteen seventy-seven. but it's probably his his, that was Lonely Boy. And then uh, his big hit was like in nineteen seventy eight, Everybody Needs a Friend. Mm -hmm. Well, he plays most of the instruments on this song. 
So he does the guitar solo. He has the drums. He does the uh, that really cool uh, keyboard part. And he was kind of her right hand man for a long time. Um, but you know the you know why we're experts on this album, Kenton Clint Ballard Jr., who wrote this song, was yeah. born in El Paso, El Paso and died right. in Denton. That's right. Can't get much more Texan than that. He's a yep. student of North Texas. Yep. The Music College of Texas, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen. All right. We ready to move on to the next song? I think yep. so. All right. Song track number two on side one is It Doesn't Matter Anymore. Baby, last September, how you I love it when it goes into that minor right now. I mean, right there. Yep. Who thought Buddy Holly wrote this song? I at one time I thought Buddy Holly wrote this song. I, I think at one time I did too, but I knew he it didn't. Sounds later like on. such a Buddy Holly song. Well, it's because Paul Anka wrote it for him. Yep. You know, Paul Anka wrote this song. Yep. Right. It's a and I did Paul Anka ever write any other song? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a couple. <laughs> But yeah, he. This is a fantastic song, and I might say she does a better version of it. And oh, is, she, she's, she, she nailed just, it a little bit better than she's. So put your head on my shoulder. So I want to speak to that. That's another Paul Lincoln I want song. to speak to that briefly. What you said, Jam. When I first, you guys have a much deeper history of this album than I did. I I don't know if i'd heard this much before if i did i don't remember it and i was initially put off by it um and i've realized my the error of my ways in repeated listenings i didn't initially like it being treated as a ballad because of buddy holly's version of it i again i don't know but buddy ways. holly's version it, it no i i absolutely love but it you don't have any choice but to love buddy holly in I this know, bar, it's young such man. a good the first time you ever heard it, your buddy Holly's doing it with those pizzicata strings. Yeah, and all that. it's it's a great song. What what I was going to say is that um, she sells the sadness. I know in this song yeah. and what it's about. Buddy Holly seems almost he, he's resigned yeah. about the fact that the almost girl's relieved, right, but he's relieved. Almost relieved. <laughs> he's yeah. relieved. Whereas she she knows things are going to move on or whatever, but she is absolutely heartbroken. Yeah, yeah, and Can, that's that's one of the I, things that I think that. Both of these guys, those great musicians, great people, great singers, just know I, I can interpret it differently. Yeah, yeah Jam, I'm going to intrude on your territory here, and I yeah. want to apologize beforehand. But I have always said that Linda Ronstadt can make me cry. Mm-hmm. Or, as we say here on the show, boo-hoo. Yeah. And uh, we're getting to that one pretty soon. I mean, uh, we didn't talk about her hit that came earlier than this album, a uh, long, long time. Oh God, Gary White. I, I don't think I can get through that album. No, nope. you could have the Three Stooges playing, and you could have uh, Little Rascals playing, and Steve Martin doing a comedy bill, and that thing comes on. I'm gonna boohoo, and there's no helping it. And I've always said this woman makes me cry. And reading her biography, I get to the end, 
And she says, my job is to make you cry. And I went, whoa, <laughs> you do it, baby. Well, and she has said that she's a ballad singer, which yeah. makes sense that she... I know, I love how she, she says that. But yeah. she, and she is a ballad singer. But not only. Not, not only. only. No, but, not only. But she always puts some of that... There's a little sadness she in everything. She can just tear you up. It's, when she does that stuff with Nelson Riddle and all that, it's what's new. She's she's gifted. Uh, but let's talk about you. Paul Anka for a minute. Oh. Yeah. Y'all want to tell me other songs he wrote? Uh, My Way? Yeah. He, well, he, he wrote the music re- for he, My Way. Yeah, he redid My Way. And... The Tonight Show theme by yeah. Johnny Carson. Uh, yeah. No, he's he's uh, had a successful life, and this song is no exception. It's a wonderful yeah, it song. A well, wonderful, wonderful uh, song. The, the the really amazing story about this song is that he wrote it for Buddy Holly, and it was the last single. The Buddy, it was the last um, yeah, charting single that he before did before the music he, died. Before the music died, I think it was released maybe a couple of weeks before that night mm. too. And the the cool thing about it is Paul Anka gave every bit of his royalties to Buddy Holly's wife. Yeah, that is cool. Yep, that's that's no, a Paul lot better. He's a better man guy. than I am. It was uh, it was released as the B side to When I Will Be Loved, mm-hmm. and it reached number twenty on the Billboard Adult Contemporary. They're talking we're talking about the Linda Ronstadt version. Number twenty on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart, and number forty seven on the pop chart, and number fifty four on the country chart. So the I think we, we didn't mention this, but there are a lot of hits on this album and they chart on the multiple charts all over the place. Yeah. Yep. It's one of those. All right. Make this album amazing. So track number three on side one, Faithless Love. This is written by Her. the man with whom she was She's, sitting in the tree. Yep. <laughs> J.D. Souther and this. And has a banjo ever sounded sad before this? <laughs> uh, yeah, which is uh, considering her relationship with Steve Martin, who says <laughs> that you can't play sad music on a banjo. Oh, death it's like she took up his dare. Yeah. My God, this well, is such a good song. J.D. Souther also song. sings back. He's the same. Yeah, he, he sings, yeah, he sings back vocals on this. Yeah. And, th- and, and this song gives me a chance to talk about something remarkable that she does with her voice that is irresistible. Almost yodel. And that is, the, well, it is, it is a yodel. That's the transfer from her chest voice to her head, head voice uh-huh. that she does all the time, and nobody does it better. It's that little crack going that just hits you right between the eyes. It's the thing that she does so well that that just like a lot of those singers that have that clarity that can't do. Mm -hmm. She's got such a clarity, but they can't do that. The thing that screws all of them up, Mrs. National Anthem is a perfect example, is they start making a toy out of it or a a bobble. And you're saying, no, 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 no. she stop, never stop. does that. She never does that. It's all in service of the song. Right. And you, you know who does that locally? 
Kelly Willis. She does plays that that she plays that yeah. crack in a way that she overdoes it. I think she doesn't sing a song where she does not. Well, impact. she needs to at least crack. I'll agree with you, but but Linda Ronstadt is no, yeah, Emily Ronstadt Harris does it well yeah. too. They, yeah. yeah, they both know how to use it, but but it's your, so. Well, Emily Lou Harris it just does. Sucks you it's in. just kind of her thing. Emily Lou Harris just cracks. She's, she lives she, there. Cra- yeah, she lives in that crack. <laughs> but um, but it's still this song just heart. makes it. My God, what a fantastic song! By the way, so talking Props of, to JD Souther. For t- talking about the musicians on this, so Andrew Gold also plays a gazillion things on this song too. Plays, I think, both. He plays the drums and, acoustic, and he plays uh, the acoustic guitar, uh, which is pianos, like, yeah, drums, percussion. Her Peterson is who's playing the banjo on this song, yeah, and uh, and this is the song that has Chris Chris Etheridge playing bass. Mm-hmm. So they all make you boohoo. She's the boohoo master. She is the boohoo master. Her job, right? That's what she said. Yeah. All right. And I can't believe she said that after I've been saying that all those years. I feel like sending her a letter. I say, you did it. She probably read it. Oh, I doubt it. All right. Song number four on side one, The Dark End of the Street. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Even though they're being the bad people in this song. This may be the one song I think could have been left off the album. What? my favorite song on the album. I love this song. What a beautiful song. Anyone that disagrees with that sucks. This may be my (laughs) least favorite song on the album. I, I just... I don't know if I just know it from the original version. Percy Sledge did it. Everybody. Yeah. Anybody well, know just, who wrote it? Yeah. Chip's the, Moment Chip and Dan Moment Penn, and, the, yeah, the guys Dan who Penn. wrote... Uh, Everything. Um, no, no, but they wrote Do Right Woman, Do right, right Man. Yeah. Another and, connection, ladies so, and gentlemen. Yeah, that was on the Aretha Franklin album. She also covered this song, too. I think that I have just associated it so much with... A man that is really difficult for me to, and, and Linda Ronstadt does a lot of songs that were originally done from the point of view of a man. There's just something that's just not as aching in I, with with this that I, I'm looking for. And is, I, I'm I'm looking. Is there anyone who didn't cover this song? <laughs> well, you know the version I first came. Upon I was, do. It's got to be the Gilded Palace. It is. It's the Flying yeah, Breeder Yeah, Brothers. yeah, yeah. I know, and I know so that one. Yeah. I, what I want to say about this song and these guys, Chips Moment and Dan Penn, and, the, and these two so songs, well, these songs. two songs in particular, Do Right Woman, Do Right Man, and Dark End of the Street, they somehow hit, they were able to hit this, this or thread this needle between R&B and country and make these songs that people can do things like this with. This I think this is a remarkable song. I think this is a remarkable. I think it's a version. remarkable song. Yeah, but I think it's a remarkable version of this song. It's uh, the first time I ever heard this song was by her. The guitar solo in the song oh, is remarkable, yeah, that. and it's by this guy. It's by Bob Orford, who yeah. is playing a B bender on this song. So, <laughs> do you want to jam? Can you talk about the B bender? Because I know you probably know more about it. Than All right. So the, the B bender is a uh, is a guitar. It's basically a Fender Telecaster. 
Um, the idea is you want to make it sound like a uh, steel guitar, and the what you do is you push down on the the body of the guitar to make the B string go up. So there's a spring mechanism in the body of the guitar that actually will move the B string up a whole step. So when you're playing, you just all you have to do is put your arm down on to so stretch that string, stretch that string out. And so. so and that's what we talked about earlier. That's what Clarence White plays on uh yeah. Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Yeah. And I just want to say some names here. Dolly mm-hmm. Parton, Porter Wagner, Flying Burrito Brothers, Aretha Franklin, Rye Cooter, uh, Elvis Costello, Greg Allman. I think this her, is everybody loves this song. I think her version of it is great too. I I do not hear this and think a a guy should just a guy should be singing it. No, because it's, she tell, she just changes I, the whole thing I'll when t- a woman's singing. I'll tell about you why? It. Because. The, I feel the same way about the Aretha Franklin song. My first... Um, my and you used to be the misogynist in this group, and James taking your place, well, right? I, 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 yeah. I will say that the the first time I heard Do Right Do right Man, Do Right Woman, Do Right Woman, whatever, Do Right Man, was on Always On My Mind, which is Willie Nelson does it. And it's great. And then I heard the, I heard the Graham Parsons version of it, and it's great. And then I heard the Aretha Franklin version of it, and it's great. So I think those songs transcend that gender thing. I don't know how you don't love this. Uh, I, I love the song. I absolutely love the song, and I like her version of it. But there's just this is one of the things like maybe you could have come up with Silver Threads and Golden Needles or something like that. Uh, it's a little more. I think this song fits this album perfectly, and it's in and and it's in this. Um, Faithless love, dark in the streets, and heart like a will. Yeah, that's that run. Yeah, uh, it's just I listened to it while I was driving. For I mean, I've listened to it while I was driving a thousand times. But when the sun's going down and you're listening to this and you're driving, it's that that sequence is just amazing. It is. I'm you know, sequencing is one of the things I would say is done to perfection on this album. Yep. I would I'll not I would not disagree with you I at agree all. With you. It it is especially side thing. 2. Yes. Oh, yeah. side, side, side 2 is It's almost amazing. Abbey Roadish. We're not there yet. I know I I agree I agree with you Doug and and it's something that uh stands out when you're listening to an album all the way through, which is what we That's recommend. What we recommend ladies and recommend. gentlemen. It, it, it there's nothing on this album where you go where you it screeches to a halt. I mean it takes you on a journey. Side two in particular, but what you're talking about these these last three songs, you're lucky to be able to get off the couch and flip the record over. <laughs> you're going to uh, probably be, I know. You're have a, I know. a soaked pillow. Yep. All right. That, last that, song. All right. Side one, final song on side one, the title track of the album, Heart Like a Wheel. All right, ladies and gentlemen, in I'm case you wondered what a cello was for, yeah. what a wonderful song. This is such a, how this song has not just become 
part of the Western canon as well. I mean, how does how does the song? How does she want to record the song for several years? And everybody tells her, eh, it's too sappy. It doesn't fit oh, what you want slow. to do. It doesn't fit with. It's not going to be. But poppy. thank God, uh, it waited until she had. If you listen to the albums, three albums before this, this would have been covered up in orchestration. Yeah. Instead of being left with that so one it's, it's sad Andrew cholo. Gold, it's Andrew Gold playing piano. The piano on it is, uh, yeah, is uh, is remarkable. I mean, and it and it sets this uh, it sets this really amazing mood. Uh, well, she said that when she heard Andrew Gold, she played it for Andrew Gold, and Andrew started playing the piano parts. She said, and she started singing it. She, said, I just, we, we got it. How much song. do you guys wish you were in that car with the sun rising? And barely could barely see Jerry Jeff Walker's face, and he starts singing the song to you. I, know, I mean, how, how remarkable of a moment must that have been? I wonder if that if that had almost as much to do with her it, the song hitting her between the it eyes. May, as it may else. be. Well, you know? but that's it's, the thing they, I'm talking they about. nailed it. I mean, thank God it. that somebody didn't pour syrup all over this. Well, you know, and the McGargle sisters are. Let's give them their props. They were they were phenomenal, and I've I've watched them Where do they this from? song. Canada, right? Thank you, Canada, yep. again. But if, if you watch the McGargle sisters do it, they've got that nice kind of clarion voice that just can can go through anything. But and Linda Ronstadt has that ability, but her the way there's just something about her voice that is just so much more emotional than the, when she they makes sing you cry. It. Yeah. Well, and props to Jerry Jeff Walker for recognizing what she could have done to the yeah. song. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. I love the analogy of the will. Once it's mm-hmm. once, once it's, it's bent, bent it's it, it can't go back. Yeah. Which I think is how it is. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. I don't know about wills, but well, I know I, about um, hearts. Well, I think yeah. And even if you could get it go back, it's never going to be the same. There's no. going to always be a little bump. Yeah, that's yeah. there. There's going to be some bitterness yeah. or some always. Yep. No, that's a great Except way for to me. I mean, I never had my heart broke because <laughs> I was the heartbreaker. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, line. That's that. where JM has to drop in a Zeppelin too. I don't need. <laughs> I don't need any of the thousands of women who dump me to call in to say BS no, on that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, great, great way to wrap up side one. What are we gonna do now? We're gonna flip her over, what and I believe got? the next song may or may not have been a hit. When will I be loved? It's a hit. <laughs> think this is her blind spot i think she doesn't know how good she is at rocking tunes like this or tumbling dice maybe she does and she just doesn't like to talk about it but she can belt these things out i don't yeah i don't think this is where her heart lies it isn't and but she it, is so good at the think about poor, poor, pitiful me yeah. she can just tear it up this is but this is the song in particular that I think about when I think about how this album changed what came after it, because this song just not, I mean, it, it, I 
I believe, isn't it, this song was number one on the country charts? I believe it only hit number two on the pop charts. I yeah. don't. I don't know about number one on the well, country charts. The thing that I it, it sounds like him. the rest of the band is just having the time of their lives playing it, like a guitar solo, and it is almost bizarre. I there's I think it. I, I have a problem with the guitar solo. Uh, I think it gets kind of ho downy. Oh, I don't think it sounds ho downy. I think it sounds. Uh, I just never heard a guitar so- name a, another guitar solo like it. Yeah, I, don't I can't think, so. think of another guitar solo. I just like see it. a bunch of people. Grabbing their suspenders, going. This is also was a ubiquitous song in my childhood. Mm -hmm. You know, this was everywhere. And this Um, is, but by the way, this is the Everly Brothers song. And if you listen to the Everly Brothers tune, I'm going to say something. You know, this album reminds me a lot of uh, of that Ray Charles album we did. In that there are songs on there that that was a song of other people's music. Yeah. that he made his own. Yeah, album of other people's music. Yeah, this is a she. Uh, unlike the Buddy Holly song, which I think is great, but I don't think she made it her own. I know you do, Jam, and I, I I get that, but I think this she made this song her own. It's hard to listen to the Everly Brothers version after listening to this and hear it the same way. It, I I think she perfected it. I, I do too. I, 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 no, my only you. criticism I, was with the guitar, so like, I, it. It I sounds it. happy, and this is not a happy song. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna harp but, but on that. But that's the I thing about the song. guitar solo I kind of like is that doesn't necessarily make it happy. This just to tell you about how she perfected it. The Everly Brothers version hit number eight. This was number two. It was a number one country single. You know what kept it from being a number one pop single? And uh, she was about to have two consecutive number one singles off of this album. Do you know what kept it off of number one? Mm. Muskrat love. You're close. You're very close. <laughs> Love will keep us together. Oh, wow. You very were close, close, Jam. Yeah. So um, this, uh, much like the Buddy Holly song, which was his last uh, his last big hit before he died, this was the last rockabilly-style song that the Everly Brothers um, recorded a hit with before really? they started doing some other type of stuff. Yep. Well, one of the things that happens, which is one of Doug's favorite things, is the song segues into the next song. I love... You do love the seg- the segues. I, I love the way there's hardly a beat between this song and Willin'. So, a uh, little spoiler alert from Doug there. The next song, side song two on side two, is the old Little Feet song, Willin'. And one of the best pedal steel solos of all times on this song. Yep. Um, this was the version that introduced me to this song and Little Feet. Um, so I didn't know that the Little Feet version existed for so long. This is another one where I think, wow, she had a great version of this. But it's really hard for me <laughs> to envision a woman singing this song. A woman having her head stoved in, just 
doesn't really or smuggling smoke smoke some folks from, from Mexico. Mexico. Um, yeah, I agree. But I think she was just compelled because it's such a great song. I know, and I think that that's one of the things that used to happen at, at music at this time that there's a good song. Let's sing it. It's a great song. Well, yeah, and and and, it, you, but, and they would uh, be on TV and stuff and do this. Like, hey, I can do this song. It's a really good song, and you didn't really care about who the character was. I mean, Doug. One of the things you keep talking about is one of the greatest things about vocalists is can you that they inhabit the character that they're singing or no? She can't on she this. She can't on this. Yeah, but. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine? It's like um, listening it's like to us Old singing, Man and the Sea. Queen. It's like listening to Old Man in the Sea read by, um, you know, Judy Dench or something. You know, it just doesn't doesn't work. Who's Judy Dench? Damn, Judy Dench. She's an actress. Well, British actress. Uh, I I like this song. Quite I a can't bit. resist it. <laughs> I like it quite a bit. I, I love think, this song. I think uh, it's one of my favorite songs ever written. I it's uh, I I'm gonna. I'm going to be an outlier here. I like it better than the Little, Little Feet version. Uh, I think the chorus... Which version? Little Feet has I know. a That's lot what of I was going to say. When you say it's, when you say it's a, a great song, they they think it is because they put it on every every other album. Yeah. But, uh, I no, think I, old George loved her version of it. I'm I, sure the, he loved the, the chorus. Uh, on it, the he? chorus is so fantastic. What about that guitar plan? Well, it's a B-bender again. And it yeah. goes from B-bender to the... Uh, to the steel. steel. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it is... Ladies and gentlemen... It's a great. Um, it's great. I don't care if you That's hate great. everything in the That's world. That's what I'm saying. The whole like thing, even if you don't like Linda Ronstadt's vocals on any of these songs, you the, can't not the, like her. You vocals. can't like. I know, but you can't like the backing band. The band is just. Well, I, I will. I will say that there there were moments listening to this where I would I would pay attention to the lyrics and it would pull me out of enjoying it a bit, a bit yeah. as much as I would otherwise. But if I could just kind of listen to it. Every time the chorus kicked in, it's like, oh, this is just really oh, geez, great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I it doesn't match. I'll give you that. Linda Ronset makes a horrible truck driver. <laughs> but, but we I, don't know that. She could be yeah. a fantastic truck the, driver. Yeah. I can't I can't uh I can't help it if I'm still in love with that pedal steel. And that's that very good. That's very yeah. good. It's I think it's I think it's great. And speaking yeah. again, Doug is big on the spoiler alerts uh, tonight. <laughs> uh, the next song on side two is a Hank Williams standard. I can't help it if I'm still in love with you. I can't help it if I'm still in love with you. Somebody else She's making me cry again. Oh my god, this song! You could have the worst singer in the world sing this song. Did I say "Dark End of the Street" was my favorite song in the album? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those where you go, "Oh, I mean this one." Oh, I mean this yeah. one. The, this is, of course, got Amy Lou singing back up on it. The um, two of them together are magic. That's I probably what you hear in heaven is I, Linda, <laughs> Linda singing together all the time. The thing so, is, this is this is one of the greatest songs ever written. I mean. Think about it. Is there a better song about? No. Hey, I'm the the only songs I'm that hurting, match it are other Hank Williams songs. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's hard to think I'm that someone so else. But the thing yeah. Good crap. But the thing is it's it transcends gender again. It, it, yeah, she, this one this one at all. Well, she you said hits. again. The last one did not transcend yeah. gender. Yeah. It's the uh guitar work that transcended gender on, <laughs> gender on the last one. But, but this the, one it's, there's nothing about this that makes it um it Again, it's difficult to say that she does not make the song her own song. I know. I, uh, I mean, does. I hate to say that about Hank Williams because I love his I love version Hank, of it. I know. But well, I think he would Amy, agree with you. Her and Emmy Lou singing on this. Uh, you know, this one, uh, this one, the best uh, country vocal performance right. by a female Grammy, and it if if it didn't deserve it, if there's not a song, there's got yeah. there's not another song deserved it as much as this song does. And. Uh, this is a song that the two of them sang together all the time when they were. One of the things that Linda Ronset says that I think is so correct is that we should not make singing something that professionals do. It is something everyone should do. And her whole life was about people coming over and playing guitars and singing songs together. Yeah. And that's what her house on Malibu on, on the beach, her. She and uh, you know she helped comfort uh, Emmylou Harris back after that death Graham of Parsons, uh, Graham Parsons, yeah. and she talks about the two of them just spending hours and hours and hours of singing songs together. And of course, they made those um, trio trio albums, which are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Don't make you hurt. If you don't Such like a, this, yeah, uh, you're a, you're a if horrible If you don't person. like the song, you're a horrible person. And if you don't like this version of the song, you're you're a really yeah, you, you, you should you're give up imagine, on yourself. Imagine going to the studio, saying I'm going to cut Hank Williams' song, and and I mean she wouldn't do this because she didn't have the ego and saying I'm going to make it my own. People would laugh you out of the studio, but yeah. she did it. Well, you know she it was brought to her by her sister her sister used to just listen to hank williams songs yep. all her the sister was a hank that's that's the story of lander onset is she's just grabbing music from all genres yep. one of the things she said that she didn't want to record any music she didn't hear before she was 12 <laughs> which uh she did record a lot of songs that are old songs but yeah you can look on this and see there's something that she yeah. recorded after she was 12 right yeah willing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Close your eyes. All right. So we we ready to move on to the next we are. Next song. Next song. Keep me from blowing away. And the first easy loving soon all the good times, the gay times, play times, that colors run together. Oh Lord, if you hear me, touch me and hold me and keep me from blowing away. I, I like the song. It's it's a humble song that's not uh trying to do anything big, but it really fits where they put it. I think it's. I was just going to say. I think it's a perfect song to be between. Well, the, what's coming next? <laughs> the, the, the song we just talked about. I can't help it if I'm still in love with you. And the last song on the album. I but think I, it's I, perfect. I, I know. I'm a sucker for waltzes, and I'm sucker for yeah, the pedal steel, and I'm. 
You know, it's just got that. Just imagine dancing to this under. Like you're outside on a on a deck someplace it with some string, string yeah. lights and. Yeah, you're just uh, yeah, exactly. Know, dancing to the it'd be yeah. fantastic. Nothing wrong with this song. All right, so moving on to the final song on this album, <sighs> you I? can close oh, your eyes. This is one of the greatest songs ever written, and her interpretation of it is, this is what her voice was meant for. She she does James Taylor such a favor on this song. I mean, I, I like I it when he sings, of it, yeah. I, but it's nothing like this. She just Nails devastates it. you with this. That being said, you can't take the James Taylor out of the song. This is a James Taylor song. It's a very song. James Taylor song, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, she. I agree with everything you said, but you hear this song and you're like, yeah, that sounds like a James Taylor song. You oh, know? sure, but, but it's that, oh, I don't, that doesn't bother me. It's, it sounds like a just, Chips moment song it, earlier. I, mean, I, just, I can remember driving from that dove hunt we were on hearing this song, and I start that bottom lip starts going. Because <laughs> she is so vulnerable even yeah. though she can belt out, that's what's amazing about her, is she can belt out like no one outside of opera. And yeah. at the same time, she can drop down and be so helpless and in need of help. And I mean, I just want to pull my the, truck over and go save her. Yeah. And, and, and the, but it's like the, the micro, she doesn't, she's sitting here at this, the same time, at the exact same. She has so much control. Yeah. The control of her voice. She never gets away from the mic. And we're not even talking about her in her prime after she's done yeah. Pirates of Prinzance and all of that where she's mastered yeah. her voice. Yeah. But this is just, it's a its a beautiful song. It's one of my favorite songs ever does. It's one of my favorite songs playing guitar. No, it's a, it's a great, it's a yeah. wonderful song. And James Taylor's a great songwriter. He's oh. fun to make fun of. Yeah. But why is that? I don't know. And oh, he's a phenomenal he just, guitar player, I too. I, I love James Taylor. I will yeah, freely say that. I did a James Taylor album before it's all over. But this is the song he wrote for his sister. She recorded it before him in 71 yeah. on Sister Kate album. Funny name. And then he recorded it that same year on Mud's, Mudslide Slim and the Blue Horizon. Yeah. Um, and now was, he plays it with his son. His son. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, it was the B-side to You've Got a Friend. Better this is a great way to end this album. Yep. Great Except way to you're boohooing and you still got to well, drive you, That's further. why you flip it over and then the boohoos go away. No. You, <laughs> that's, yeah, you should start with side two on this one and go to side <laughs> one. Well, no, you'll still end on a boohoo. Yeah, What you do is you it's, end there's on this. There's no excuse. It's basically the exact same you, you side. Can't, yeah. You can't escape you end the on this, You end on this side, you get up, wobble up to the turntable, flip it over. And you yeah. get to the first song, the second side, and then take the album off. You need to have, uh, <laughs> it's like I've always said, you need to have 
um, Warner Brothers cartoons ready to go. It's like <laughs> after you watch a real scary movie, you got to put the Warner Brothers cartoons in to de scarify your hey, whole I house. Just watch Rosemary's Baby. I'm gonna watch. Uh... <laughs> Uh, what's up what's opera doc yeah that's a great one what's opera doc um well so this uh as we talked about this was this was her it's funny to talk about somebody who put out seven albums before this and this was her basically her break breakout album this is where she figured out what she could do and the one that it was made with Columbia or, or Cap- Capital. Made for, yeah. Uh, made that. to fill And then she's like, David Geffen's going. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it reached number one on the Billboard two, Top 200. It was the first of four number one country albums, double platinum certified. It's over 200, 2 million copies. Um, and it is sort of the start of people starting to understand. And we talked about this earlier her ability to interpret songs. In fact, her versions outsell the originals, you know? And, and they're, uh, she's fantastic at introducing a new generation to older songs. She is. Or bringing people like, uh, Warren Zavon, who Mm -hmm. did not have much, yeah, uh, attention at that time. She brings their songs out and puts them in front of everybody. And she knows good musicians. She basically Mm -hmm. discovered, the Eagles. Well, regardless of what we want to say about how soulless that band is, those guys know how to play, and and yeah. you know, no, they and know JB how. Souther. They know how to sell. Yeah, yeah. they know how to sell. Um, but so she did thirteen albums with Peter Asher. All thirteen of them were either gold or platinum. Yeah, so we need to just do a. Yeah, we talked about a hundred thousand records. That puts her in a pretty rare well, con- atmosphere. Considering her first album for Capital sold 10,000 before she went back in the studio. It's pretty wow. remarkable. It is. So. She's, she's a re- remarkable woman. Um, I recommend everybody look up the, uh, what's it? That's, what's the atheist watch on Sunday morning? Uh, Sunday morning with Sunday CBS morning. or something. CBS, like that. Yeah, CBS the little son with a face. Yeah, no, CBS this morning. She's uh, Sunday morning. Right? She's interviewed by those people, and uh, it's a very good interview. She's just you can tell she's funny. She's sharp. She lacks well, yeah, any and, bitterness whatsoever. And they gave her the. She was inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and she was just like, she didn't even know it. Who inducted her? Well. Glenn Fry and uh, oh, that's right. Glenn Fry and John Don Henley both spoke. That's right. But I don't think she could be there. No, but they inducted her. No, she just said she didn't want to show up. She would. She could have made it, but she just said whatever. So, but but she eventually got um, what is it called? Super nuclear. What is that disease called? They thought it was Parkinson's. It's it's Parkinson's, but it's worse than Parkinson's. It's uh, got a cooler name. So. You know, the, you guys know this album was nominated for Album of the Year, right? Yes. Do you know what else was nominated that year? To Captain and Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. Oh, what a great album. Yeah. Between the Lines. Still crazy after all these years. Pretty good album. And One of These Nights. <sighs> Still crazy after all these years is what won. That's oh, when okay. Paul Simon said, thank you, Stevie Wonder, for not putting an album out this <laughs> <Yeah>. year. <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah. So so she got progressive supernuclear palsy. Yeah. Which uh, was originally um, 
diagnosed as Parkinson's. And that took away her ability to sing because it paralyzed her voice. And what her uh, grandmother had, right? Well, um, her her, uh, grandmother had Parkinson's. Um, Well, actually, her mother uh, had a wreck because a dog jumped on her from the back seat and paralyzed her. Yeah. But her her childhood is so wonderful. It's wonderful to see. It is, uh, you know, and then unlike all the other people, she she had very little. Yeah, she made all her band quit drugs. Well, yeah, and she she was unable to uh, drink alcohol because she's she allergic do, to it. Yeah, and she did. She couldn't do cocaine. She couldn't do. Yeah. So she was like, okay, I'm going to do something. I got to do diet pills. And yeah. Then so she, she did do that, and and they worked for a while. Yeah, and she but went, then she yeah. quit them. She said that's apparently. not good. Yeah. So anyway. Absolutely one of the most important uh, singers. I, I was about to say female, but I hate that because she's, you know, a, she's a phenomenal singer. And It doesn't matter has, if she's a female or well, not just because think of she's the so stuff. good. There are so many things that she has introduced me to. Like, think of, I think that she introduced me to that kind of Great American Songbook. She When yeah. she did that trio stuff that she did, when you, you know... Uh, a she lot of would, the songs I knew before, but then when she went into that uh, Canciones de Mi Padres, what the no, hell? That, that was, was yeah, exactly... Yeah, we had to talk about that because a lot of musicians do this at the end of life as they return to the songs that got them interested to begin with. Yeah. Um, but like, she got... It's not blues. I'm not doing that. Okay, yeah, we've heard these songs a million times. She grew up with her mom playing the American Standards. One album that she keeps talking about over and over again is Frank Sinatra, For the Lonely. Yeah, Songs for the Lonely. Yeah. What a great and, album, which we should probably do. It. <laughs> she she could not stop talking about that. And, the uh, and of course, all the mariachi and yeah. ranchero music she grew the up Tenio with. She all, said yeah. that uh, she grew up believing that English was the language that you speak with, and Spanish, Spanish is, is, the, sing with. is the language you sing with. And uh, her last concert was right here in San Antonio, which makes us experts. Yeah. And that was uh, all mariachi music, which yeah, so, they put on such a beautiful uh, stage performance. I mean, she for really that. did just kind of hit me. I mean, there's so many... I found so much good music coming from her, like Junto she did. Bernal. To this I mean, everybody day. our age was introduced to so many good artists through Linda yeah, Ronstadt. Very much. Very true. Very so, true. anyway, we all agree. All right. All right. So, except for uh, JM, we hate JM because of uh, what's on Dark End of the Street. Yeah. So, this is the point in the podcast where we give our reviews. We do two reviews one, a critic's review, which is based on the artistic merit of the album, regardless of what we feel about it personally. And the other is our personal review. Will we listen to it again? We do this on a scale of one to five. So I'm going to go with the, I'm a non-picker. Doug's a non-picker. I'm going with the other non-picker. Doug, can you give us your review of this album, please? I can. Uh, Personally, it's a five. No question. Um, I've loved this album for a long time. And uh, it's it's almost magic to me. Uh, as a as a uh, critic, I'm gonna go four nine. I'm gonna take a point off of it. 
Uh, for a few unrealized items that we didn't discuss, but do you want to mention them now? Uh, um, I, I w- part of it is you're no good, and it's failure to fit into the album. Um, there's I'm I'm being so picky. I feel silly. There's uh, the guitar solo with uh, I've been cheated, um, and there's some points where the strings are too fat. That sounds so petty now that I've said it out loud, but it's only one point. Uh, so I this is this is an album that grew on me the more I listened to it, which is is always something I appreciate. Um, as a participant in this podcast is kind of going into something with a little bit of a preconceived notion and then coming out of the, the on the other end with, a with a, a different feeling. So, uh, that being said, I am going to give this, uh, critically, I'm going to give it a four or five. Um, it is, it, it does what it needs to do. It is a groundbreaking sort of game changing album in terms of what came after it. Uh, didn't talk about this much. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of what it um, sort of gave birth to in a lot of ways in country music, but it was a part of my childhood, so I'm not going to knock it. But yeah, four or five critically. Uh, personally, I'm going to give it a four two. Uh, I, I like this album a lot. Um, it's uh, I don't have quite the history that Doug and JM have, so it's liable to change. My personal rating on this will liable to go up. It will not go down, but it's liable to go up on upon, upon repeated listens, but I'm going to give it a four, two right now. JM. All right. So I'm going to go with my personal rating first. Five Oh, I mean, this is just an album I grew up with. Absolutely love every song on it. Love the way that it's, they were all, I mean, these, these, this album introduced me to so many good songs, so many good artists, um, and her interpretation of a lot of these songs have never been surpassed. Uh, so, like I was saying earlier, there's a lot of sentimental value with this, so it's got to be a, a five five zero for me. Critically, I'm going to give it a four five because I think that she. While the musicianship is so great behind her, I think a couple of times she misses the um, the soul of the song with with her interpretation. So it's going to be a four or five. All right. Well, thank you guys. This was a pleasure to do. So, uh, JM, I understand you might have a recommendation for us tonight. Well, based on the conversation that we've been having all all night and who who we've been talking about, there is a uh, documentary that came out about a year ago and I, it's available on HBO plus it was in movie theaters but it just came out on HBO max I guess is what it is called the sound of my voice and if you really want to know where a lot of these songs came from and you want to know a little bit about who Linda Ronstadt is and there's very few interviews actually with her but most of them are with uh people that have worked with her just kind of knowing where she came from where these songs came from how she gets into songs it's it's a very good documentary i've watched it 
watched it like three times and it's just phenomenal. So, uh, I, I really recommend it. Um, it's, it's a, one of the best portraits of a musician I've ever seen. So I, I, I highly recommend it. All right. Well, thank you, sir. So yes. that brings us to the end of another episode of This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. Next week, we're going to be looking at an album. Yes, a listener's choice album. Jeff Buckley, his one and only album, Grace. Our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Final Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And reminding you, we're all willing.